From the Lucha Podcast Network, this is the Mass Startup Podcast. The Mass Startup Podcast profiles the most talented creators, impactful entrepreneurs, and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights, learnings, and tactics to help you build the things that you believe in. Peter Hicks, Offensive Pizza, and Chris Velan. With our community for an intimate, inspired gathering, sharing their stories of passion, perseverance, courage, and commitment with you guys. Tonight, our team has put together an experience to inspire the next generation of business people and entrepreneurs just like you. We hope this moment of pause gives you an opportunity to learn, to connect, and to foster new partnerships with us and with each other. I am your host, Mashuru Mutao. I'm an entrepreneur, a creator, and a podcaster. I like to say I was an entrepreneur before it was cool. I was a podcaster before you could get canceled for it. And I'm a creator before it was about dancing on TikTok. <laughs> I have the incredible honor of experiencing this amazing evening with you. I'm going to kick off with some really powerful intros. And you're going to have to give me a moment because... The speakers we have here, as mentioned before, are titans. So these are not easy intros. Okay. So to kick things off, I personally believe, and my mom would beat me if I didn't start with the lady, <laughs> the creative visionary Offense Pite. Offense Pite's deep desire to showcase the work of black African composers, anchors, her visionary approach to art, music, and architecture. Driving inclusivity as a founder of Anchored Sound, the first fully black-owned and operated orchestra on the continent. She has earned a formidable reputation for forging new paths, pathways through focus, innovation, and amplification. Distinctive and dynamic, her work as an architect, musician, and entrepreneur is committed to a lasting legacy, creating an exceptional offering through pioneering new possibilities. Please help me welcome Offensive Pizza. The culinary curator, David Higgs. From humble beginnings cooking breakfast in a small hotel to becoming one of South Africa's most awarded and best-known chefs, David Higgs is known for his love of food, art, wine, and a good bribe. As one of the founding partners of the Marble, Marble Group, which owns Marble, okay, Saint and Zoo, which is all the way that way, and the pantry down there, <laughs> alongside being a cookbook author and the judge of My Kitchen Rules South Africa, over four acclaimed seasons, his work is an exercise in culinary curation, creating distinct experiences. With an almost 30-year cooking career, David is redefining culinary possibilities with his expansive and unique restaurant offerings. His journey and the Marble Group's growing hospitality empire is a lesson in focus, steadily redefining ideas through education, excellence, and a dedication to innovation in distinct, elevated approaches. Please help me welcome... David Higgs. <laughs> the craftsman, Chris Veland. 
The name Valance has become a calling card for elegant simplicity, distinctive quality, and expert craftsmanship. As the founder and CEO of South Africa's leading furniture and homeware retailer, Chris Valant is inspired by his love for Africa, his obsession with design and a driving passion for creating unique customer experiences. The savvy entrepreneur and creative force who has successfully built Valant into a world-class brand will share the story behind his aesthetic vision, timeless taste, and the brand's six-decade journey. Thank you. Please well, help me welcome Chris Vela. <laughs> First and foremost, are you happy with those intros? <laughs> <laughs> you did well. Is it okay? <laughs> so we're going to jump right into it, right? And I really hope that this experience helps entrepreneurs and business people think very consciously about the journeys that they are going to have because they'd be inspired and informed by the experiences you guys have had as well. So we all have these grand notions about the geniuses that we are as people and the world-changing ideas that we have up until we put them in the world. We can be pioneers in our minds, but pretenders in real life. The market decides. Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. That's from Mike Tyson. What was the moment you found your idea and turned it into your purpose? I'll start with you, Chris. That's uh, a good question. I think it was... <laughs> I don't think there was a defining moment, but I, if I look at how I grew up, I, so my DNA is about creating. And I think when I grew up, I created, I made, and I sold. So I, I made and I sold, I grew my vegetables. I had my chickens, I sold my own chickens. Because I made Scooby-Doo. I went to the trade of the fur traders and I made bangles and I sold them. So when I grew up, I was a creator and I was a trader from early age. I sold newspapers on the street. And I think there was no white person selling newspapers on the street in, in, the, in Vintuk in Namibia. So that was kind of my upbringing. I, I loved like getting my hands dirty. I love mm. creating. I love being part of it. That, that is, I think, the foundation of kind of where it all started. Mm. For me, it started in 2017, right? And I just had this love and this passion for classical music, but it started with choral music, right? So I just got a group of young vocalists from the East Rand, right, to to just meet up on a Saturday with my pianist friend. So at the time, it was just 12 of them. So as they were performing, as they were singing, I was like, you know, I imagined an orchestral sound. So I then reached out to a friend of mine from church because I played in the church band. And I told them that, come one Saturday, let's have a jam session. So that Saturday came, we're having a nice jam session. As they were playing and jamming, I was imagining a softer sound. So I told them to find some other people who play strings, right? So that we can incorporate those instruments there. So the strings came the next Saturday, and then I was like, mm, I want some flutes, you know? I, I imagine this flute sound, clarinets and oboes and all that. And then the following Saturday, they came. So before I know it, there was these 19 musicians, right? So as they were taking out their instruments, I'm looking at them and I'm like, okay, there's 19 members 
of this ensemble, taking out the instruments. There are these 16 members of a choir. Who's going to conduct this? So I looked at them and I was like, shucks, I need to learn how to conduct. Mm. So it happened organically, but it kind of propelled me to learn how to conduct. So I was like, I made it my mission to meet my purpose because I think it really just met me at that point and I just had to rise to the occasion. Thank you. David? Yeah, I think very similar to, to my two fellow guests, the, the love of, of food came almost organically. You know, it's something that annoys me about our current era of people where they talk about things like farm-to-table being fashionable and, and nose-to-tail and everything else, you know. But I grew up in the 70s, 1970 to 1980 in Namibia. And essentially what we did is we went to fish in the morning. That fish is what we put on the table at night and it was before school, you know. And the extra fish will then get frozen and they get taken to farmers on weekend and we would barter. They would give us cattle and so forth. So there was this... And everything was eaten. I remember in the larder there was always an expense. There was a, a big aluminium tub with the with fat that had been rendered and that was spread on bread and sprinkled with sugar as a treat. Like, how the fuck are we alive today? We don't know. <laughs> like I, but, I mean, that was, that was farm to table. You know, that was how we ate everything, you know. And I think when you understand, when you understand that, that process and that uh, from a young age you have that respect for product, it was almost natural for me to, almost the next step. And, and, you know, when I came out of the military service, I was desperate for a job. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, I, thankfully, I fell into the hospitality industry, you know, out of, out of desperation. And, and yeah, there the, the story continues from there. But, yeah, I think we have to be very grateful if we find something that we love and we stumble upon, you know, because there's so many people that, are, are, that don't have that opportunity, I mean, that love for the thing that you do is so evident in each of you guys. How influential has being passionate about what you're building been to the process of how you actually build it? So in a world where doing what you love is a great privilege, how do you actually make it work? To start off with you. I think that's probably one of my most difficult things because I'm dealing with people every day. And, and with the advent of social media and as we sit here, you know, we... <laughs> We're tweeting, we, and it's, it's live. And it's live 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we feed about 1,000 people a day in our restaurants, in our cafe, in our petrol station or whatever. So with, with all the positives that come with social media and everything else, you're under constant scrutiny as well, which takes a, a hell of a lot away from the creative process because every single day I wake up with the anxiety mm. of making people happy. So I think, I, I think my... My, what I do, and, and I don't think it's different for any of us, because all we're trying to do is please people, make people happy. You know what I mean? We create to make people happy. That's what we do every day. Mm. So to, to stay positive, you have to, for me, I, I have to remove myself from it. Sometimes I step out of the kitchen onto the floor for a couple of days at a time. Not only, you know, let the guys in the kitchen grow. Mm. You are there to oversee, to, to encourage, and then, and then when you're ready, you step back into it, and, and then the creative process can then carry on. But it is... It is quite easily my single biggest challenge on a daily basis to stay, to stay motivated and positive because it, we're surrounded by constant criticism and scrutiny, which is what we need to grow. But, mm. but you know, sometimes I think people have lost the art of eating out, you know, like mm. lost the art of actually sitting down and enjoying a plate of food because they are wanting to, to be the big next thing. And it's very easy to become the big, be the next thing because you criticize David Higgs, you call him whatever you want to call him on social media and then 
you know, you'll get a thousand hits quite quite comfortably. So yeah, I, I, it's it's those are my challenges on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. offensive. Honestly, because what I create, right, it's quite unheard of to you know to to bring orchestra in pop culture. That is something that is is not seen. So you finding this this giant, this elephant of trying to introduce a, a world that is normally found in the in the theater space, right? Hidden, very limited access, quite high end, right? Not everyone can access it. So here I am trying to make it accessible. And what I've tried to do is introduce my world of orchestra in the world of normal day living. So that's why you'll see me doing various things with other brands or collaborating with artists that you would not normally find doing anything with the with the orchestra. But it's it's quite difficult because you're introducing something like people have not seen it. So I try my best to still keep to the to the power of orchestra and still keep to the lessons of being a classically trained conductor. But you have to always innovate. So my innovation helps me in ensuring that I always stay relevant and always keep up to what's happening in the in the modern day. But like like David was saying, I was saying, the anxiety is there all the time because you wonder if what you are giving and putting out there is going to be liked. You mm. wonder if you are performing good enough. You wonder if people will come again, or you you wonder what hashtag is going to be created. With, with, with your name. So it's a bit challenging, but what I do essentially is introducing something totally different to a world that would not easily have the access. Yeah. Yeah. Chris? I think every, <clears throat> everything starts with a passion. If you don't have a passion for what you're doing, you're going nowhere. And, and how do you maintain passion? Is a love in what you're doing. Starts with, for me, it's it's a vision, and I'm incredibly focused. I'm passionate. I'm actually obsessed. So I don't actually have a normal life. <laughs> so it's this. You know, this whole thing about balance in life, and you got to do this and this. Unfortunately, if you want to be successful in the context of how our system is, there is no balance in life. You cannot be successful if you're going to wake up 9 o'clock and you get home at 5 o'clock and you're not going to be successful. You're not going to make the difference. You have to be passionate and it's quite interesting. You always talk about you've got to eat it, you've got to sleep it, you've got to breathe it and the other person is you've got to shit it. <laughs> okay, so you've got to do all those things. You've got to live it. You've got to breathe it. You've got to be passionate. It's a perseverance. It's an obsession to executing the vision for the long term. Mm. And that keeps me going every day because it's the most exciting thing there is. With all our challenges that we have got every day, because we have a long-term vision. If you don't have a vision, you're going nowhere. So vision linked to passion, 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 obsessive, driven, you believe in it, you, you're all in. Mm. 
There's no, you in it or you not in it. There's yeah. no like half measures. You can't sit on the fence. I'm going to think today, I'm going to think this. My vision is this. Now that the market says I'm going to go this way. No, you believe in, you've got to adapt, but you believe in your vision. And, and that's what people will follow because you, you're honest. It's all about, for me, is authenticity is one of the biggest, is one of the driver of a brand. Mm. You know, it's, it's what it is. And it's for the long term. Yeah. You, while you guys have this perseverance and ability to adapt to the changing things that are happening in your industries and different spaces, when you think back on your journey, are there challenges that you faced that actually made you want to stop? But more importantly, how did you adapt and adjust your approach? Like what Chris was mentioning, just like being very, you know, creative and innovative in how you actually move to constantly stay, you know, committed to the vision, even when everything else comes at you. So how do you adapt and adjust your approach to keep going when those challenges that even, you know, to the level where they'd actually make you want to stop offensive? So in, in 2019, right, I had my first show, right? First show, I've sold this dream to these these young instrumentalists, young talented instrumentalists from the East Rand. I'm like, I'm going to ensure that we make it into the theater space. And we had this show at Jobek Theater and we did the works of Mozega Shaka as well as Princess Makoko. The dream was finally coming alive. I had promised these young kids since 2016 that I'm going to get you there. I'm going to create access for you. I'm going to do everything that I need to do to ensure that you are known, you are seen and your talent is celebrated. So get there. We have this brilliant show, right? And I also featured some of my favorite jazz musicians for the second leg of the show. So incredible show, did what I said I would do. And then after the incredible show, the sponsor went AWOL, right? Sponsor went AWOL. And then now these musicians are like, okay, Offense, where is our payment, right? So at that point... I wanted to give up. I had already left music. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I have a degree in architecture. Like, why, why am I here? Why are you doing this? Why am I doing this? I can design the next circus. You know, I can, I can you know, do amazing things with my talent. And I had left the, the conducting space. Had left the conducting space. And that whole ordeal got me into hospital. So I was admitted for severe depression, suicide ideation. And I was done with music. So while I was hospitalized, I get a call, right? Get a call and it's Bob Mabena. So Bob Mabena says, hey, offense, I'm Bob Mabena. I was like, bro, Bob, we all know your voice. Like the whole country knows a Bob Mabena <laughs> voice. So I know it's you. So to what do I owe this pleasure? It's like we're doing a show with Judas Supuma, 1st of November. Empress Palace, it's called, it's the launch of our album, The Power of Dreams. We believe that your story fits perfectly with this because your story is about the power of dreams. I was like, mm, brah, Bob, thank you so much. But nah, I don't want anything to do with this conducting thing, this being a superhero for this genre. I will pass, right? So he's like, okay, I'll give you an hour. She's saying, already I, have, I had made up my mind. He calls after an hour. He's like, offense, have you decided? I was like, brah, Bob, I'm still not keen on doing this. I'm so sorry, but I can recommend three other talented conductors they're not female but they are black so i can give you that and then he was like hold on the line on the other line was mom judith sipuma she said to me 
offense, I've never seen you hold a baton. I've never seen any of your shows, but something in me says I need to help you, right? And then I was like, okay, how are we going to do this? She was like, there's no budget for this orchestra, but I'm going to do everything it takes to ensure that you get on that stage, right? The show happens, she makes it happen, and there was this one guy who took this picture of me, and then on Sunday, the paper comes out, right? And the headline reads, first young black female conductor to own an all-black orchestra and choir in the whole world, right? And I'm like, what? No way, when did this happen? So I found out when everyone found out, right? But what that moment did for me is remind me not only of the power of collaboration and the power there is in helping people cross, because sometimes you just need some people to just help you cross. So, so that whole ordeal, what it taught me, as bad as it was, but it taught me to have the right things in place. So I now have a management team, obviously, to, to handle all of these other things, but it was such a bittersweet moment in my career. But again, the power of coming together and assisting each other when you've never seen someone conduct, you've never seen their show, but you believe in their story. Mm. So that was the defining moment for me. I think that's amazing. Yeah. You want to go, Chris? I think the single, the most important thing is your vision and the passion. And, and we'll probably get to some of the questions about work in this South African environment. Mm. But for me, the philosophy is the long term. And I think Kim, my partner, and my live love, we've been talking about a lot in the last couple of days about this topic. And... Are people building something for the long term? Are people plowing the field deep enough to sow the seed for the future? I don't think so. My belief is we do things properly for the long term. We make a difference. And that takes hard work. It takes resilience. It takes vision. It takes sacrifices. It takes... You wake up early in the morning and you... Sorry, I'm not going to swear now, but... <laughs> and you're going to push and you're going to drive for, for constant improvement and it's a long-term game. And that is building... That is a foundation of everything. We're building something for the future. That is my vision. I'm building some future. Not now, for the future. And that... And that keeps me going. That drives me. Drives me because I want to achieve that. David? I think, so don't get me wrong, I, I've never been goal-orientated. I've, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm naive or, or was naive or, or whatever, but I've, I've never worked, worked to a specific, like I want my restaurant by the age of 30 or like, you know, it was never that. I've, I always had my head down and worked incredibly hard. And I, my belief is when you work, opportunity comes your way. People notice, people see. And I've always been incredibly driven. And, and you know, I get to the age of 52 now and I, I don't have a family and I don't have things that, which, I, which I regret. However, I have to say that, that not having a specific goal at the end of the line helps you not to have blinkers on. So, which which is which comes back to your question of you know like 
if something goes wrong, how do you come back from it? So when I started my first business, it was a cookery school. I No loan from the bank disapproved the loan. I'd signed a lease, naive. Like I was 28 years old. I didn't really know what I was doing. But I knew I wanted to teach. I used to, I used to do drama at school. I love drama. Like it, was, it was really part of me, you know. And That's why uh, you did a TV show. Eh? A TV show. You're doing a great job, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, being a presenter <laughs> and having someone shouting, yeah, yeah uh, is different to doing yeah, your own thing. Well. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but but having you know you know getting this getting this sort of school sort of signing the lease and everything else and then realizing that you don't have the money to actually build the school was was quite a was quite a thing. And then my girlfriend's parents gave me gave me a, a, a hand. And I started with the enrollment of this of the students, and I got five students for my first year. <laughs> now, five students would probably take you to March, and and of those five students, two of them didn't pay me, and the third one's father paid me in baked beans. Believe it or not, I don't know where. <laughs> no, no, like this is a serious story. So I had two students paid. So I was going to see February, and this was my first business, you know. So no bank loan. My girlfriend gave me money like it was a it was a real messy story but you know from there on the, what happened then was just the most absolutely incredible thing i i then started a a, a catering company halfway through the year because i wasn't going to make it and and you know running a cookery school was was quite expensive because you can't give a student one chicken to debone and think they're going to do it right you have to buy 10 chickens now i don't know if you know what 10 chickens cost but i mean that's that's and that's how unfortunately that's how cookery schools are running at the moment you know and that's why a, like I can say this, and then you can quote me, and it's probably live or whatever. But a cookery school, <laughs> like let's not get into this. But a cookery yeah. school is a thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like it's a, it's a, you know. Anyway, long story short, I started this catering company, and, and the way we worked it was, was the students then would then, basically be the chefs for the catering company, and then they get paid a salary. And by the end of their two years, they would have got their entire fees back. So it's a, it was a. Like, I don't even know how I came up with it, with that, you know. <laughs> but it was an incredible business that we, that we then created with these students. And they got the most incredible experience. But the most important lesson for me there was, was partnership. I took on a partner who didn't have the same values as I did. And, and that's all I can say to you is I think, and we never know this, it's always sunshine and roses, you know, in the beginning. But partnership is everything. And... and so there's two things there. Make sure that the person doesn't have the same strengths as you have. So we were two chefs. That's, immediately, that's a problem. You know, you know, you need someone with a good business background. Gary, the most incredible partner. You know, at Marble with the Marble Group of Restaurants. So I'm on the food side. Gary's on the on the finance side. We've got Dino on the entertainment side. So we have a we have a and that's why Marble does so well. Is because we're multifaceted and we have our, our different strengths. But yeah, you know, we're in that. On that day where one of the students say, well, you know, like I can pay you in baked beans, you know, you, you think your world is coming down and you wonder how many mixed grills you can make with all those baked beans. <laughs> but, but, you know, you got, you, because you don't have blinkers on, you know, that you, that you have a little bit of vision, you say, okay, well, actually, what are we going to do? And, and yeah, I, I, that's, that's sort of my, my story, you know. Yeah. Thank you guys for being so open and vulnerable. Like, I feel like you guys are being very, very, you know, spilling the beans, as to say. <laughs> so the founder of LinkedIn, Reid Hoffman, describes entrepreneurship as jumping out of an airplane and building a parachute on the way down, right? This is very extreme, but I have my own version of this. Entrepreneurship in South Africa is jumping out of an airplane 
building the parachute on the way down, except you're also in the dark. I think this speaks to how much you need to adapt the way you're building while staying committed to your original vision. And this is something you spoke about, Chris. With challenges like load shedding, challenges in the economy, how are you innovating your business or your pursuit in order to still grow in this environment? David, I'll let you go first. So obviously load shedding for the hospitality industry and for most industry was, was a mess. I only talk from the hospitality side because I know it's what I know. And it was devastating. And especially for us because we cook on fire. And all you guys know is when you cook on fire, food doesn't transport particularly well. So opening marble or saint, you know, for, for that whole takeaway thing for six months was never an option for us. Because you do your brand damage. So what do you do? You know, like, how do you get around this? And the most incredible thing happened. I knew that we had to stay in touch with, with, our, with the people that, that support us. And you, sp- you speak about staying relevant. And you have to stay relevant somehow. And remember I said just now about loving drama in school. And I, <laughs> I was lying on my couch. I literally had my feet up on my couch. It was the fourth day of lockdown. And I was making a video for a friend of mine, Dan Nichols. got that Dan Nichols show. I was making a video for him. And I got up from the couch. And I went to show Instagram how to make scrambled eggs, I think. And I can't tell you what happened in the next six months for me. Corporates, followers, we had cocktail hours at 12 o'clock on a Friday night where we were all as drunk as each other, you know, and this was all online. This was all, but we stayed relevant, we stayed in touch, and, and we kept talking, you know. So that was the one, th- the one thing that happened. But what we also realized is that how vulnerable our businesses are, and especially within the restaurant industry. We didn't trade for one single month, one single day for five and a half months. 300 staff, you know, like it, it, it hurts. Anyway, long story short, the, we knew that we had to make sure that we would never get into this situation again. And I don't know if you guys drive past the site the pan, where the pantry is now. For the last five years, it, it, it was like a, it was like a down, there was nothing there. It was really an, a bit of an eyesore. So we created five businesses during lockdown. We had a roadhouse across the way here. We opened a roadhouse. We, we, we wanted to do a drive-in cinema. We, did, we had all sorts of things that we wanted to do within our... But it came back down to the pantry. Petrol station, to revamp the petrol station, and to make something that is community-driven, which it is now. People coming in from runs and walks and school and after work, before work, that kind of thing. So it's become this community place. But the most important thing about the pantry was to bring hospitality back into the grocer. And when I talk about hospitality, it's, about, it's not about food. It's not about wine. It's, not about, it's about relationships. Restaurants have got nothing to do with food and wine. I don't think anything that we do, Chris, maybe with you as well, you know, it's about the relationship that we have with people that brings people back. And, and that's what we try to do with the pantry. And you know what? It's, it's our team. We now have 487 staff. And every single one of them is an ambassador for us. And and you go into the pantry, you go to the petrol attendants, they get more reviews than anybody I've ever seen on any of our groups. You know, because everybody is proud. And I, and I think that was the big thing for us, was to be able to take hospitality down into this, the service station environment, and it really has, has worked for us. It's, it's the most special place to come to. And, yeah, we're still learning, we're making mistakes. It's not our, it's not our thing, but, 
but what a what a story the the, the petrol station has become. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And thanks to everybody for supporting because I know I've seen almost every single one of you there. And <laughs> don't forget the donuts on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's that's that. Chris, you know you've got all these challenges coming at you. How do you be very smart and creative and innovative in how you mm. move? So, I mean, I chatted early on about it's a clear vision where I want to be, where I want the brand to be, because why? What I want to live for my customers. For me, customer is the king. All about the customer, I need to deliver a product, I need to deliver experience that is relevant in where we are right now, and we need to adapt and we need to change that. So it's always been my vision that we adapt, but we, trace, we stay true to our values from day one. The values of integrity, values of design, values of materiality, values of quality. That is what sustainability, everyone thinks about sustainability, about is it plastic or not plastic? My thing, biggest thing is, how do we create a sustainable business? And if you look at our country now, we need to create sustainable solutions. It's not fly-by-night ideas, it's going to happen about it. We need to create solid foundations of sustainable businesses that cater for, there needs to be a vision where we're going as a country. Okay. As a vision, as a, I take it as a business. Mm. Vision for the country needs to be, where is the country going? Is it going tourism? Is it going mining? Is it going technology? You can't do five things. You've got to focus on what, where are the skills where are, where's the IP, where's the IP of South Africa? Mm. Okay. And that's what you've got to do. And then we've got to stick to that plan, and we've got to execute it, we've got to get the best people in place, and we've got to have people with passion and deliver the results what you want to do. Yep. That's, and that's how my, in a micro level, I'm a small business, that's how I operate. I mean, not so small. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how do I evolve in this changing that's, 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 that's a beauty of growing up here and I often spoke about roots in Africa and, and then we, we just had a discussion like two weeks ago about the strategy and brand and blah 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 what does it mean mm. root in Africa does it mean it looks like your design aesthetic is about a certain way? No. Roots in Africa means an attitude. It means you connect it to where you come from. It means you're, you have a connection to the environment. You have a connection to the, the, the conflicts. You have a connection to the history. You have a connection to where we're going to. You have a connection to the challenges. 
And the sum of that drives we going. It drives creativity. It drives what are the solutions. What are the long-term solutions? The solutions are bottom-up. Mm. Everyone is looking for someone to be a savior. They're looking for the next president. They're looking for this. The solution is bottom-up because we can create the solution. And that is the role of entrepreneur, that is the role of everyone else, that is, for the long term, how do we create a solution for the long term? And that happens from bottom up. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I think that'll be... Offensive. I'm all right. <laughs> <Okay>. I'm all right. <laughs> so, the, my idea was clear from the onset. I didn't want to just become another conductor who does Baroque, who can conduct Tchaikovsky, Stravinsky, Mendelssohn, and all of the greats. So when I, when I bothered my now mentor, Corbin Gruten, on Facebook, and I was like, I need you to coach me, I need you to mentor me, I said to him, I don't just want to do the normal stuff, right? So yes, I can do a Beethoven, yes, I can learn a Mozart, but I want to do my own thing. So he, he then coached me and taught me how to be innovative, right? So it's like an iceberg effect. There's this ice on top, and then underneath, there's also some stuff, right? So how I think of innovation or how, or how I innovated, right, is then I looked at what I was taught in the classical space. So like a Beethoven, like a da-da, right? And then I was like, saw Beyonce doing Coachella, right? And I was like, mm. imagine if I adapted that kind of approach, right? So then I was like, okay, Beyonce's Coachella, it's, for example, for Bow Down, right? It's dun dum 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 one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Ba 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 bum 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 bum. Right. So what I learned in the classical space, I juxtapose with this world that's more pop, urban, right? Which is the same things that I learned, really. But now I'm doing like a Beethoven, but Beyonce Beethoven. So that's why you see the shows that I do, right? I'll be wearing like a superhero cape, right? And then I'll have like these boots and I have this baton and I'm dancing with San El Musician, you know, and doing all this music. But I still know what I'm doing. I know my four fours, my three fours, my two fours. So I know where my entrances come. I know how to cue in my soloist. I know that the bassist needs to do this. And when he's not doing the right thing, I'm just like, okay. And then I'm like, okay, metal piano, forte this side. And I have everything in control still, but you would not find that in a space that people are just jamming, having a nice time. Mm. So the innovative nature that I was like, I don't just want to do what everyone is doing, mm. what has been done. I want to bring the classical world into pop. So, innovation. That's incredible. Yeah. You guys have done an incredible job speaking about, you know, the work that you've done, the journey that you've had, and the things that you've done to navigate it. I want to speak a bit more about the support system that makes that possible. So, how do family and relationships play a role in your journey as an entrepreneur or creator in the early days, right? So does the power of community, collaborations, and more importantly, partnerships make a difference in what you're building? I'll let you guys decide who goes first. <laughs> I'm done picking. David, you did mention partnerships a bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, yeah I, it's, a bit of a, it's a very touchy point for me personally for a number of reasons, but uh, I think one of the sad things is is to be able to come home after the most incredible day and not be able to share this experience that you've that you've had in the day with anybody. 
you know, or, or, so, so I think, you know, we, we disregard that. But it comes back to what Chris said about balance in life, you know. And, I mean, I've been cooking for 34 years now, and, and like, I lost my 20s completely because I was so very focused on what it is that I wanted to achieve. And, and it did a lot of things. It, it made people trust me, which is what you want in our industry. People know who David Eggs is, not because I'm any better than anybody else, because I'm here every single day. You know, and I haven't gone overseas to work, and I haven't. I've always been in South Africa, and and you know, I'll tell you a story, a very quick story. And and I went to Technicon. We we didn't have much cookery school there. I think there was Silwood was the only school at that time, but we were twelve young chefs at at Technicon, and you know, the majority of those guys went overseas almost straight away after working, after studying, and they were making more money than their parents were making on the ships and on the boats and the yachts and, and overseas restaurants and so forth. You know, they all came back after 10 years and, and lost pretty much everything that they made. And a lot of those guys at my age are now back on the yachts and back on the boats and anything else. And it, and it says a lot about my discussion about relationships with people, you know, that, that people trust me. And when we opened Marble, before we opened, three months before we opened, we opened the reservations, and within two days we had 1,500 bookings. Now, 1,500 bookings are not people, tables, times that by four on average, bookings in a day and a half. And that came through people who trust, you know. And I think, so although you don't, you don't have the one side of, 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 this, of, of, of the balance where there's a family and someone to, to share in all of this, you, you then have the complete opposite where you have this incredible success. And you just got to decide in yourself, you know, what it is that you want from life, I guess. But don't ever disregard family. You know, I think it's your biggest support system. They'll, you know, so, yeah, partnerships, uh, choosing the right partner, important, whether it be personal or commercial. And, uh, and, and you can forget about balance, especially in my industry. There, <laughs> there is no balance, you know, like it's, it's, it's all work. But, yeah, you know, that's, that's my five cents worth. <laughs> So, can I go? I think your personal relationship, you cannot be successful if you don't have a great relationship at home. Stress at work is the easy thing to handle. Stress at home is the most difficult thing. If you have a partner who believes in the vision, that travels and journeys the same way, we... We did, it's just a journey from the last 30 years has been insane. And if you don't have someone who's next to you, who understands the vision, understands the passion, because without the passion and the, and the commitment and the perseverance and the if there's no understanding, you, number one, the relationships are going to work. Secondly, you're actually not going to succeed. Mm. And, and unfortunately, there is no balance in life. If you're successful in this, maybe I'm repeat, repeating myself, but <laughs> if you're successful in this era, in this system, 
system that's been created, system of capitalism and blah, 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 the current system, if you're successful, you cannot have a balanced life. You can fool yourself. You can pretend you're going to have a balanced life, and you can, you can knock off at nine, start at nine, leave at five, and you do yoga, and you do all sorts of stuff, and pretend you will never cut it. You will never be successful. That's, that's a fact of it. You can slice and dice, you can pretend otherwise, it's not going to happen. It's hard graft, sacrifices, but the reason we do it is we love it. We have passion. We have a vision. We want to, we want to create something. That's what we live for. We create, we, we wake up every morning because we believe in the vision. Thank you so much. To access previous episodes of this podcast, but also again access to other shows on our network, please visit lucha.com.